on the Sunday morning when we were going to fly, I woke up feeling like hell. I was dizzy, very nauseous. And I thought, oh, you know, it's smug, you know, karma for being smug that I didn't get norovirus. And we got to Disney and I was very, very ill for two days, couldn't leave the bathroom. Managed to get the Eurostar back to London. I went to see my neurologist and I had emailed him saying everything's way worse. He, in, I got an emergency phone call from his secretary. The last thing I remember is being admitted by an A and E. The rest of my memory goes blank until I moved to rehab, which was mid-August. So I spent between May and mid-August in two different ICUs. I got transferred to London because the essentially it was all caused by a bleed from a cavernoma in the brainstem. I don't remember any of this, but they hoped it would clear up by itself initially. I have very, very fuzzy memories of a few days before moving to rehab. As soon as I went to rehab, I knew everything. I spent four months there, learned to walk and talk again. I was using a bodyweight support machine, which is essentially a treadmill with a harness that takes your weight. And as your walking gets better, they decrease the amount of weight the harness takes. I developed a really good relationship with all of my therapists, especially my two speech therapists. Um, I became really close with them, got on really well with them. They were my age, so it was quite nice because um, one thing I actually said to them in rehab before I left was, you guys understand what we're going through, but you're not able to talk with us about it because you're not going through it yourselves. Hello, Mark Goodyear here. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Today, we hear from Tara Eddowes from Hazelmere. Tara suffered a stroke at the age of 34. I used to live in the Cotswolds, moved to Surrey a few years ago. I've been working uh, for a local charity that does art therapy for disabled people, um, disabled adults. So I worked there as a support assistant. I sort of it's a shop as well, so I'd help them on the till, teach them, sit while they were doing their artwork and chat to them and help them, that type of thing. My family all live nearby. I've got a niece and nephew, so I tend to hang out with them. It was February 2022. I was playing Mario Kart, and I suddenly noticed Mario had turned into three Marios. I'd worn glasses my entire life, so... I put it down to having no eye test since before COVID. I sort of just thought, oh, it's fine, I'll book an eye test next week. The first optician I saw said, well, you need two pairs of glasses, one for distance, one for reading. And having worn glasses since I was about four years old, I was just a bit confused by this. I thought, I'll just get a second opinion. He, the other optician said, go and get an MRI. I have a genetic disease that I get regular monitoring for each year, part of which is an MRI. And um, so I happened to have one booked two days later anyway. And I sort of emailed my neurologist beforehand saying, can you look, the optician says something weird's going on. And he found a small bleed in the pons nerve, which actually influences your eyesight. So... A couple of weeks later, when the results were back, I saw him and he was sort of saying, 
oh, it's fine, it'll clear up, your, it's own. you know, your numb left arms, nothing to worry about, and gave me a prism for my glasses. And, I mean, he's a doctor, so, you know, you believe what they say. And with a few weeks, I was feeling better. Come the end of April 2022, I noticed my double vision was starting to return. So I sort of just was like, oh, it's nothing, it's fine. And sort of around that same time, my family all came down with norovirus. I didn't have it. So, you know, and we were due to go to Disneyland in Paris that May Bank holiday. And on the Sunday morning when we were going to fly, I woke up feeling like hell. I was dizzy, very nauseous. And I thought, oh, you know, it's smug, you know, karma for being smug that I didn't get norovirus. And we got to Disney and I was very, very ill for two days, couldn't leave the bathroom. Managed to get the Eurostar back to London. I went to see my neurologist and I had emailed him saying everything's way worse. He, in, I got an emergency phone call from his secretary saying, please, please come in. I used to see him in Oxford, so I went there to the John Radcliffe and saw him. The last thing I remember is being admitted by an A&E. The rest of my memory goes blank until I moved to rehab, which was mid-August. So I spent between May and mid-August in two different ICUs. I got transferred to London because the essentially it was all caused by a bleed from a cavernoma in the brainstem. I don't remember any of this, but they hoped it would clear up by itself initially, and it didn't. So there was a certain neurosurgeon in London. I got transferred to his care at the National at Queen's Square. He operated, and it was okay after that. I then got hydrocephalus, so I had to have a VP shunt fitted. And after that, I sort of became, according to my family, became more alert I have very, very fuzzy memories of a few days before moving to rehab. As soon as I went to rehab, I knew everything. I spent four months there, learned to walk and talk again. I was using a bodyweight support machine, which is essentially a treadmill with a harness that takes your weight. And as your walking gets better, they decrease the amount of weight the harness takes. The talking was combined with music therapy because the speech therapist says that um, music actually helps you learn to talk again because you sing. I did warn the therapist that when I sing, it's more like nails on a chalkboard, but they seemed okay with that. So I was there till mid-December. And yeah, that's about it relating to the stroke. And then my community therapy started in January. Tara's rehab was at the Wellington Hospital in St John's Wood, London. It was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I developed a really good relationship with all of my therapists, especially my two speech therapists. Um, I became really close with them, got on really well with them. They were my age, so it was quite nice because um, one thing I actually said to them in rehab before I left was, you guys understand what we're going through, but you're not able to talk with us about it because you're not going through it yourselves. But... The two, the benefit I did have was that a couple of therapists were my own age. They were all fantastic. I still go back and see whenever I'm in London, I pop in and say hi. They really like previous patients coming in because they get to see their progress. 
I'm kind of quite stubborn and determined. I mean, I've said to pretty much every therapist I've had, you know, when you guys stop telling me to slow down, I know I'm better. I would like to be home. I mean, I've got a four-year-old niece who was very happy to see me. My dog, I like to think, was happy to see me. You know, it was nice to be back home. I mean, my husband had made loads of adaptions to the house. He'd put handrails in on the stairs, grab rails in the bathroom. He sort of had advice off the OT and rehab as to what to do. I was having PT twice a week, physio twice a week, and then occupational therapy twice a week. Originally with the physio, it was some basic exercises around at home to keep, you know, as in rehab, increased muscle strains, standing balance, core strains. I developed ataxia and proprioception in my left hand. So occupational therapy sort of was working on my grip and sensation in my left hand. So it would be games for that. It would be games like um, Cluedo or Jenga or something where you have to, your hand has to manipulate small things. My speech has progressed really well. My hand finger manipulation has, the lack of sensation in my left hand has kind of petered out, but it's there enough that it's not a problem. I try and do as much walking and work on my core as much as possible because the stronger you are, the better your walking is going to be. I mean, the progress I've made since rehab, I mean, anyone I spoke to now who was just going through it, keep a video journal of you know, once or twice a week, your therapy, you watch those back and you instantly see how far you've come. I'm very happy. I mean, like I said previously, I'm very stubborn, so I don't really take no for an answer. I keep going. I'll try anything. Slow down is not really in my vocabulary when it comes to rehab. <laughs> Coming up, Tara talks about taking advantage of the online stroke community. That's why I've got a blog on there as well, which will you know, be updated sort of a couple of times a month with things I've been doing and how they relate. And I mean, the social media posts I'm doing sort of every day, just with like little tips and everything of, you know, various things about, um, what was I doing differently? Uh, you know, um, even the smallest progress is still progress. Don't panic because you're not doing something instantly. And the help of her family. My family were amazing. Even when I was in ICU, completely out of it, they'd still come and sit there and talk to me. Um, I mean, they showed me pictures and videos and I don't remember any of it, but they would still, some of them would come. I mean, the hospital still had COVID restriction, restrictions, so it was only sort of two of them a day were allowed for about an hour or something but they would still come every day to make sure I was all right, still talk to me. I mean, rehab, they were amazing. They really pushed me, I mean, to do as much as I could. I found when I was in rehab, there was no one my age who was there at the time. Because I was so out of it all summer, I had no idea what was going on. It was completely, you know, blindsided by it all. When I got to rehab in August, they asked me what a long-term goal was. And I said, oh, I've got this event back in the Cotswolds that I usually go to in March. So I really want to go to that. Like I normally would with no walking aid, nothing, I'll be fine. And at the time, I wondered why they all looked to me like, yeah, not going to happen. But then I gradually sort of learned it is a long process. And I wanted to create something 
for people who, you know, stroke survivors, other sun disabilities, for them to understand everything from tips from, you know, types of clothing to wear or ideas for therapy or just general tips for life, like, you know, blue badges or a radar key for when you're out to be able to use a disabled flu. Everything I didn't really know about. I wanted to make sure it wasn't like just written by a therapist. I wanted to make it personal. So I was having a conversation with somebody. You know, that's why I've got a blog on there as well, which will, you know, be updated sort of a couple of times a month with things I've been doing and how they relate. And I mean, the social media posts I'm doing sort of every day, just with like little tips and everything of, you know, various things about um, what did I do today? Uh, you know, um, even the smallest progress is still progress. Don't panic because you're not doing something instantly. I'm not working at the moment, no. I'm um, still sort of adjusting to going out and about in the community. I want to get my walking a bit stronger. I used to get public transport where I went, so I want to be more confident on that first. Sort of short-term goals, really, is uh, probably get the website up and going as much as I can and get plenty of things doing that I can then add so... Again, like I say, it's a personal journey as well. So it makes it as personal as possible. Long-term goals would be, I was always quite an independent person, so to be able to do things by myself. My family were amazing. Even when I was in ICU, completely out of it, they'd still come and sit there and talk to me. Um, I mean, they'd show me pictures and videos, and I don't remember any of it, but they would still. some of them would come I mean, the hospital still had COVID restriction, restrictions, so it was only sort of two of them a day were allowed for about an hour or something. But they would still come every day to make sure I was all right, still talk to me. I mean, rehab, they were amazing. They really pushed me, I mean, to do as much as I could, which I liked. I mean, I'm determined anyway, but the fact that I had people encouraging me was great. And... um Speech therapy was quite interesting because I had a tracheostomy for six months. So the way the therapist would get you to talk when she put a speaking valve in would be to get you to FaceTime people. So that was quite nice for my family when I did eventually learn to talk. I think my therapy team were probably a bit shocked by how much I do talk because they'd only known me silent with the whiteboard. And that's one piece of advice I'd give to anyone with struggling with their speech is a whiteboard and marker pens. And here's Tara's advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. I'd say to a fellow stroke survivor that, you know, it might seem like everything's horrendous, everything's changed, you know, but you have to find some small positive each day. I mean, I think my first one was probably the day I could pull a marker pen lid off the marker pen by myself. And that's tiny, but it still was something I'd achieved by myself. Um, You have to find just something each day. And a video journal is great because if you're having a particularly miserable day one day, you watch a video of yourself from 10 days ago and you can see progress. You don't see progress yourself every day, but other people tell you. The way you will see progress by yourself is to watch videos or look at pictures. As for a sort of family member, 
I'd say it's incredibly stressful for them, but you have to remain encouraging. You, you know, if somebody's having a bad day, you know, try and cheer them up. But at the same time, you say, you know, come on, you can do it. Let's, I don't know, talk about something or, you know, if they're struggling with speech, you can just sit there and watch a movie with them or something. Having people around you really helps. Tara suffered a serious hemorrhagic stroke in the pons region of her brain, which severely affected her eyesight and her mobility. She's since made a strong recovery and is dedicating her time to her new website, lifegivesyoulemons.com, to provide other stroke survivors with tips, advice and guidance. Thanks very much for listening to Stroke Stories. Please do recommend the podcast to anyone you think it might help. And if you have time, rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And as ever, if you know a stroke survivor or if you're a stroke survivor yourself and there's a story you can share, please do get in touch. Our DMs are open on Twitter and Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Thank you.